Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so delighted today to be joined by the wonderful Samantha Morton to talk all about her new series, The Serpent Queen. And I wanted to start by asking about your development of this character, particularly with the fact that there's so much backstory in terms of historical research and text on Catherine that you're able to do, but also in the way that Justin and his team have written the scripts in the fact that it is telling the story that, that moves back and forth through time. And so you have all of the young Catherine scenes throughout the show as well to really give you the narrative interpretation of this character as well. And so how did you find the the spaces of motivation, intent, and emotion in the character whilst looking at both of those different facets for yourself? Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Great first question. Just kind of trying to follow all the, the points there. Um, well, I don't really do that. I think that's not my job. I think my my job is all character. And it's all, all about finding the truth or the lies that someone's saying. And I think that if you have an incredible team like Justin and Irwin and Jaquetta, who was the makeup designer, and Karen Soro, who did the costumes. So you have great scripts, great producer, great team, great DOP. My job is to is to inhabit Catherine the best the best I can based on my I feel like my bible for want of a better word um that's not to say I didn't listen to the audio book because that's the the, the source you know the source of it and what, what is that um so yeah that's that's how it works for me and you're bringing up some of the physical elements of this character as well in terms of the costume and the hair and the makeup. How much of the physicality of the character did you find for yourself before you were in production? Or is a lot of it about that moment where you have those external elements and you're able to kind of really physically step into the character for the first time? Um, that's an interesting question. I think a bit of both. Mm -hmm. Because one might argue, oh, I need the clothes to be the person and I walk differently in the clothes, which you do if you're in the corset and you, you know, and you're, you know, playing Catherine, you're on the world stage all the time. So you have to be very mindful about how people see you, what emotions you show and your clothes will tell a huge story about you as well. Um, they're like a uniform. They say a huge amount about individuals. But I think kind of in regards to... Catherine, I needed to be able to, to not rely on those crutches. You need to be able to see her privately. She could be in her 90, you know, you, and she's still Catherine. She could be laying naked giving birth. She's still Catherine. And so I think it's my responsibility to not rely on all the accoutrements and, you know, all the things like that in order to play the character. In terms of, of the dialogue as well, I was interested in how you found, you know, what you wanted the vocal delivery of this character to be and, and even just the way that she talks throughout the series. Um, again, that's all something that is a very natural, um, in, kind of instinctive way of, of being. And I think it's a lot of that is down to Justin's dialogue as well. It's, it's very... Um, the rhythm it's not like you're doing Shakespeare but when you're doing a period piece there is a rhythm with which these people speak they're not like oh you know you're right it's like everything everything has a reason and sometimes there is you know a lot of hidden subtext in what she's saying and often she's not saying the truth other than when she breaks the fourth wall and she turns to talk to the audience i.e her inner self and just say can you believe this is happening or not what she meant or whatever you know whatever it is um so you have those moments but 
I'm not an actress that is very, unless I'm playing a real person and I need to try and get their accent or the way they speak as close to human, you know, humanly possible. Um, I don't, it just, it's like you go into character and then it kind of happens a little bit like Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost, you know, when she gets, she's sitting there and the voices come in. I just wait for that moment and I'll go, oh, okay. I was on one movie once years ago when I was kind of relying on that. And <laughs> it was like the first day of shooting and the director was like, is that how you're going to speak? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I don't know if I like that. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so he very, very quickly, you know, he he said what he wanted. And I was like, oh, I know what you mean. And I just did it very quickly. It was fine. But um, yeah, you, you I can't always rely on that one. But touch wood so far, it's only happened once in many, many years where it's, it's not been okay. I think that's pretty impressive. And was that also the case of, of it just being a very instinctive thing when it came to a lot of the pacing? Because like you were just saying, there's a lot of subtext to what she says or things that she can't necessarily say out loud. And, and there's almost a playfulness to some of the dialogue where it's like, I'm going to pause and create this dramatic effect by not kind of giving you what you want, want to hear from me right away. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was quite a fun element in her character. Was that also very much, you know, Justin's writing and just that instinctiveness that you were just talking about? I think it's Justin's writing and I also think it's Justin's communication with the cast and we had a lot of conversations about what what was really meant and also Catherine's really bright she's the brightest person in the room pretty much all the time and she's around a bunch of absolute idiots apart from Diane apart from Ludovine's character Diane you know and so and also in some ways you know um Mary Queen of Scots even though she's very young again the women in this show are fiercely intelligent and having to make do with a bunch of idiots running the country you know (laughs) so there's a lot of like not wanting to tell the men they're idiots because that's that's not what you do um you need to empower them to do the thing that you need them to do in the show so yeah right and I I thought that was one of the really interesting aspects in in watching in your performance and in her as a character the different ways that she kind of tries to guide you know her husband and a lot of the other men and sometimes it is asserting herself a little bit more and sometimes it's kind of a real softness and kind of making them think it's their idea in the first place yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and I think that's Justin's writing I have to say that you know but but also me understanding what he means and then getting on the phone and going is this what's happening here and he's like yeah 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 and also we were really lucky because Justin directed so much of this so he's on set most of the time and that was just I mean such a gift because he's able to say if 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 a point wasn't you know it's like playing music if if a note isn't hit then the song might not sound right so he's always there to say oh this is what I mean or you know to, to all of us really and you're mentioning there that obviously the two of you were having phone calls even before filming as well. What were some of the most useful details or some of the questions that you were asking him early on that went kind of beyond just the details on the page of the script? Initially, that's just storyline. What are you choosing to say? What 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 are we going to have? What's you know the excitement when an episode's coming in, and then just discussing that episode um, in fine you know very fine detail in regards to Catherine's storyline and. But also Justin has a has a way of telling the having to tell a, a story in a season when there's so much more to say, so much more to do, but we've we've got to pace it and and also thinking about there are so many other characters 
within this, not too many, I have to say, but so many other characters that their actions directly affect Catherine. So you always have to go back to that storyline because it's affecting Catherine's storyline. Um, we spoke very early on about, actually about my, my interpretation, what, what I felt about Catherine and hope it, you know, I, I kind of wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. That makes sense because there's nothing worse than, you know, not being on the same page as the showrunner or the director or the writer. And then, you know, there's been a misinterpretation of the character. Um, And to me, I always wanted to approach this and Justin agreed and, and I, and I think, you know, felt that I was on, you know, we're on the same page in regards to, you know, she's Italian. And so often in Italian cinema, we, you know, there's formidable female characters, but we have the, you know, if we're looking at, you know, looking at Italian men in regards to the head of a family. So we can look at that in, obviously it's American cinema, The Godfather, but, you know, we have an Italian head of the family and, you know, Don Corleone, and then you can look at Goodfellas again, it's it's American Italian, but you have this sense of the men but then the women, you will have the woman kind of is the matriarch, but these stories kind of focus on the men, which is okay. Or the women are the wives, which is how it is. But we wanted it to be that Catherine was like was like Don Corleone or, you know, that this was an opportunity to say, actually, we're going to s- switch this round here because she was the original. You know, she was fiercely loyal you know loved her family um had many many children loved you know and and you know you know the history she she's extraordinary and you're also you know you're sharing this character with Liv Hill who's playing the younger version of her when she first comes over and and enters into this marriage um and obviously you're not you're not sharing scenes together but you are sharing this character did the two of you have an opportunity to connect and talk about the character and to find those elements of linearity between your performances but obviously you know yours is going to be drastically different because she's had a whole wealth of experience in between those two spaces or was that very much coming through Justin to kind of find those those connective threads um i think that um what was really lovely is that stacy passon directed the first the first couple, I think. And I, I didn't really get to work with Stacey much. I was mostly working with Justin. Um, but she really, like we all did, we're desperate to get on the phone or Zoom or something. I was in America shooting the Darren Aronofsky film. They were shooting already in the south of France. So it was um, it was just about talking. And um, Liv and I, Liv, I have to say, Liv Hill is is extraordinary. I think she's one of the the most exciting young actors working today. And I've seen her work before and was a huge, huge fan of her work. So I was really thrilled that they cast Liv um, as the young Catherine. Um, So we spoke a lot on, on Zoom. And it was important that for me that Liv felt that she could make the character her own as well, that she wasn't kind of in restraints of Sam walks this way and does this with her head or that, you know, I wanted her to be free with that. Um, but there were kind of, because we're from a very similar part of the world in England. We're from the Midlands and we both kind of have a very similar, I think, similar way of 
telling the truth when we work or there's a there's a an earthiness to it a ground you know we're both very grounded I think um so there was similarities there um and there was a voice coach that I've worked with many many times uh who that we brought on so that Liv could take a little bit out of my voice because ultimately you know I'll be playing Catherine for a little bit longer um hopefully you know and you you'll get to see that when you watch the other episodes of how that manifests um but yes yeah, so it was a combination of Justin Stacy Liv and I just wanting to talk and and also just talking about life and who we are and how we approach things and just to be comfortable with each other a little bit as well because it's I do that obviously with people that are playing my daughter or my son or my husband and it's just just to I don't know free somebody and then then you kind of then you sideline into what what you're really talking about or what you you need to be talking about that's so wonderful and and given that there are so many aspects of of her childhood and and real formative moments in her life in the show like even just seeing the fact that she lost both of her parents to syphilis you know while she was a baby so she never even knew them and then lost her grandmother and ended up in this convent what were the most foundational elements for for your version of the character in looking at details like that in her childhood and how that really would have created the version of her in the present I think that she's a survivor, obviously, and I think that she has a way of detaching from reality. Um, some people might, you know, call it kind of a PTSD, some kind of a version of PTSD. When things really bad things happen, you pull yourself out of it, so you're almost a witness to it. So you you have to. It's a survival technique. Um, and I think for Catherine, certainly in the version that we've we've played, Liv and I have played, it's it's more a sense of I'm going to survive, not and not not in a narcissistic way, but that she's that there's some other calling for her. There's another reason why why you know, not she's not a martyr. She's not why did this happen to me? Oh woe is me! I feel sorry for myself. She's just wanting. She almost sees like the bigger picture all the time, and that there's another something running through her. Um, and that's the connection to Ruggieri and she's very wise, wise beyond her years. And what what they we didn't get to see in the, the earlier parts of her being in the convent was how many languages they taught her. This was a great convent to start. You know, she was, you know, she loved it there. It was, you know, she had amazing people that took care of her. And then there was another place that wasn't so nice. Um but ultimately, she was an aristocrat as well in that way. She was, you know, she was from, you know, as we say, the daughter of a shopkeeper, but she was still, you know, he, her family were very, very formidable already. So she just historically, she comes with a huge amount of, um, I'd say, inbred history, you know, tr that's in the blood, in the bo in the bones, in the muscles of her um, that she carries. Um yeah, so I, I didn't want to focus on that too much because I think that what we do in the story is it's it's about Henry and it's about that's where she focuses her love. And, you know, and very sadly back then, the children were taken away from them very young and given to nannies. And, you know, so there's not much, you know, she loves her children, loves her family, but a lot of it is out of her hands and out of her control to a degree, to a certain point in the story. 
And and there's a moment that that you're narrating as it's being played out in in her childhood, where she basically is mentioning how the first time she saw the presentation of power in someone and was really aware of it had such an impact on her. And like you were saying before, she it really is the most intelligent person walking into most of these rooms. And so was there an observational quality that you really saw to her in the way that she's very astutely paying attention to other people, how they utilize their power, how they seed it, how they carry it into a room? Because, you know, she does have that adaptability to do it in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that she's she's the wisest person. She sees everything and she has to. She's Her whole life is a massive game of chess. And she has to be 20 moves ahead of the other person. She has to just think to the end of the game, you know, like always. So, yeah. And, you know, she's not perfect, you know, and she makes mistakes within that. But um, she's learning all the time. And, you know, without kind of giving away details, we do also get to see a version of her a few episodes in where she is really broken and very crumbled. And and that was a very different side to her. And so how did you how did you view elements of how you wanted to play her in those moments where it is very much about the softness, the quietness of the voice? There's a lot of stillness in your performance in in those moments as well, because she's very emotionally harrowed and broken for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah, And without revealing any spoilers, um, something awful does happen and you know kind of managing a version of depression on screen is is tricky and I suppose I just played the truth of it and hope that the editor you know the editor and the director and the composer gave it its moment and you were bringing up you know what doesn't kill you can make you stronger Mm -hmm. you know if you, if you have that attitude, you can really turn it around. Absolutely. You were also bringing up before the breaking of the fourth wall, and, and that's something that you and Liv both do in your performances. And, and it feels like it's something that as the episodes progress, there's more of those moments to give kind of the inner dialogue and, and the conversation with herself. And so what was that dynamic in terms of, of playing scenes and essentially, you know, playing to the characters in the scene and finding what that delivery to camera was going to be and then coming straight back into the scene with the other characters? Mm-hmm. I think initially there were nerves about the or you know kind of you say that um whether it was it needed to be right it, it shouldn't be there because it was a trick you know and it had had to be authentic so the way I approached it was all the way through was like the breaking the fourth wall was my inner thoughts do you know what I mean like this is it, so it, it didn't it didn't feel contrived or tricky it was like a moment to breathe and go can you believe this is happening I can't believe you know and then going back into the moment it was almost like putting pause on time and having a private moment and then going pressing the pause button again and then going back to to reality I found it interesting it is really interesting. And it's also something where it's so obvious that she doesn't have anyone in her own life that she can turn to and say those things. Did you see her as, as someone where, because she's had to kind of build these walls around herself and these mechanisms of survival that she, for you, was quite an isolated person because she doesn't really have yeah. anyone to confide to? Yeah, she. it was a very isolating character in that way. Um, but then that's the way she's made it in order to survive. You know, she does talk to Ruggieri a little bit you know she did talk to you know Henry and we'll just see where the story goes in regards to that level of isolation 
and vulnerability because of that. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to kill her. Everybody wants her gone, you know, pretty much. I, it's, you know, she also is in a space where there's so many aspects and things that she's pulled into, like that, going back to that first episode where she's talking about wanting an escapism from the pageantry because she has no interest in it. Um, but we do see these little inflections of of joy and excitement in different moments. You know, there's a moment where she c- encourages Rahima to do something and she's kind of gleefully looking out the window and, and watching her actions in motion through another character or, you know, it almost seems like there's a little bit of a smirk when it's, oh, I know there's a lot of stories floating around about me. And so where did you want to find the elements of joy and passion even if they're in untraditional ways for her as a character um when you get to episode eight a lot of those things will be revealed about what game of chess she's playing with Rahima and why mm-hmm. um but I wasn't that I'm not that contrived when I'm reading scripts I don't and also you're getting the scripts coming you don't have them all at the beginning which is which is on some tv shows I've had them all at the beginning and so you can really map out your performance and obviously you're very spontaneous in the day in rehearsals but there's a sense of okay I because you shoot out sequence as well so you know you've got to really know what you're doing and where you were it's not just always about talking to the script supervisor and saying oh what was I wearing that day it, 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 it's not that it's about having an emotional memory of what you've already done and where you've been because you might be in two locations one location you might be behind the door and then three weeks later you're in another location you've walked through the door so it, it's just it's really it's a bit a bit of a puzzle mega emotional jigsaw puzzle but um so for this I, I just I couldn't be that contrived about it I had to just wait till the material came in get you know talk to Justin and then just do it on the set and just you know just be in that moment and and you know and hope that it worked and and you're shooting out of order and then you're also playing this character over the course of several years at different points in her life as well and and especially with the fact that your career so much early on was was working predominantly in film um and coming over to working episodic a lot more in the the last few years, how has that kind of shifted and evolved the way that you've had to work with like what you were just saying, where there's moments where you really just have to kind of trust your choices because you don't necessarily know what the next moment's going to be for your character. I think I have a sadness about cinema. I have a sadness that we don't make cinema the way we used to. Obviously there's this incredible wave of, you know, superhero movies um, or fantasy or, you know, and we've always had the blockbusters, you know, I'm 45. So when I was a kid, it was always very exciting when something like Ghostbusters came out or Superman or, you know, these were, these were kind of big events, you know, and, um, and we've recently had the Top Gun sequel that's been exciting and amazing because it's a, it's part of nostalgia as well. We feel like we know these people and we're really excited to see them again after all this time. And we had that with the Ghostbusters sequel as well. But I just miss the days when we made a lot of films that um, they all had their place. You know, you had your your comedy films like Twins or, you know, silly films. I mean, I was a child of the 80s. It was so much cinema. And people went to the cinema, or obviously now people are streaming, but I don't feel that there is as much investment in film, even, even for the streamers, that there just isn't. Um, and so we are making more television, more episodic television. And that is how I started. And that is a really good way to cut your teeth as an actor when you're shooting, 
you know, I'd be shooting 20 hour days, six day weeks, shooting what, 25, 30 pages a day on something like Band of Gold when I was younger, really brutal, you know, and, but I learned a huge amount and I loved my job and I loved my role. And, you know, so to then spend, and then I kind of got into properly into cinema at the age of 18. Um, And I didn't want to make any more television when I was younger. I found it quite soul destroying because I felt that it was very, the accountants were running the show. It was very formulaic. Um, The directors couldn't really tell you what they wanted because they had an agenda. You know, there was a lot of, I mean, I remember once, you know, with the, with playing this young uh, sex worker, she was, the character was 14. I was 16. The art department had made her bed kind of all silky red sheets and a red light in the bulb. And I walked onto set and I said, no, no, she's a kid. She'd have Garfields and fluffy slippers and she's a child and this is her real place. And then I did a movie and I, everybody I worked with on the set had just so much thought, so much. And it was like, oh, this is where I want to be. And I was able to interpret things differently. And there was a lot of, not all the time, but in making independent cinema, it was like you're in the auteur's hands. You're not in, there's not 20 people making a decision about your shoes or where the camera has to be. And and I found that really, really amazing. And then years later, obviously, they're not making as many films. And the films that I'm making, they do well at festivals, but then they're not really given the release or it's complicated with sales and you've sold it before so you can actually make the film really complex and there aren't that many roles so everybody's vying for those roles and the big names get the roles because they're the big names and whereas in the olden days you could audition and if you if you were the right person for the role the director was allowed to cast you because you were good enough and he'd already he or she had already got their money not often a she um but I then years later was offered a tv show called the last panthers that Johan Wenk directed and Jack Thorne wrote all of it and it was with Tahar Rahim um, and John Hurt. Um, it, it, and it was made by Warp Films. And it was a five-part television. I think it was on Sky Atlantic. I, I don't know where it was in, in America, actually. But it, it won the BAFTA for, for Best Show. And it was it was made like film. We had the time. We had all the scripts. The cinematography was extraordinary. The prep time, and it was like making five films. I was really excited. I was like, "I've gone back to television," but actually, it's not like it used to be. Does that make sense for me as an actor? I yes. felt really privileged. Um, and so, again, when when I was offered the role in The Walking Dead, I was okay. This is all shot on film. These these stories, these characters are really, really well. Um, well-developed um they have enough time to tell your story arc it's the cinematography i believe on that show is extraordinary and if you haven't seen tales the episode of tales of the walking dead even if you haven't seen the walking dead if you felt like watching the episode called d that um is available now on mc you should mc plus you should have give it a go because it is like a feature film it's extraordinarily beautiful and so I feel that I'm in the best of both worlds now. I do miss cinema and I'm aching for the time that I get to do another film where I, you've got more time to, you know, because obviously in television there's still not that much time. Um, I've really rambled there, Mara. I hope that answered your question. It's a, it's a kind of a sweet spot, though, with, with going from, you know, film to episodic television and then, you know, 
Yeah, no, I, I really love hearing all of that. And thank you so much for talking all about this series. It's really, really fantastic from the first few episodes. I'll be keeping an eye out for, for all of the, the details you. that are still to come, especially episode eight. Thank you so much, Samantha. Really Great. appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you.